0: Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Christ Concerned About the Will of God and Not Human Desires, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, we had difficulty this week with our short link creator. They were updating their servers and moving to more secure situations and doing other things that will make their service even better than it already is. We apologize for any inconvenience I am sure this has caused now and in the near future, if this should arise again. Last week's episode is the first episode providing short links from our new provider. While links in past episodes could not be expeditiously repaired, if at all, our episode number 43, Suffering for Doing Good, Part 3, was the first for our new link provider. We have also repaired the podcast site links on our homepage. We will be using long links instead of shortened links. That way, as a backup, our homepage will always be able to get you to the service provider of our podcast. Please bear with us as we continue to work this out. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience this has caused. Welcome to our extended summer series titled, What We Need to Know or Reaffirm. Our summer series is sourced in 1st and 2nd Peter. Last week, in our episode titled, Suffering for Doing Good, Part 3, October 24th, we examined 1st Peter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. The total verse range is 8 through 17. We learned about godly fear and how it is a childlike thing, learning also that we must act towards God with the confidence which proper respect for one so great and so holy demands. This contains a more general direction applicable to Christians at all times. It is that in our hearts we are to esteem God as a holy being and in all our deportment to act towards him as such. The object of Peter in quoting the passage from Isaiah was to lull the fears of those whom he addressed and preserve them from any alarms in view of the persecutions to which they might be exposed the trials which would be brought upon them by men, not God. We also learned that the bottom line is to make him, God, our refuge. Why do we do this? We do this to allay all our fears and secure us from all that we dread. For the complete thought, we will reread starting in verse 17 through the end of the chapter in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 4 as this subject continues into chapter 4. This first part of the total passage reminds us of what the subject is and verse 18 starts the reasoning for doing what we find first in verse 17. Scripture reads, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if God wills it, than for doing evil. Because Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring you to God by being put to death in the flesh, but by being made alive in the Spirit. In it he went and preached to the spirits in prison. After they were disobedient long ago when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as an ark was being constructed. In the ark, a few, that is, eight souls, were delivered through water. And this prefigured baptism, which now saves you, not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who went into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. So, since Christ suffered in the flesh, you also arm yourselves with the same attitude, because the one who has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin, in that he spends the rest of his time on earth concerned about the will of God and not human desires. From 1 Peter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 2. So, starting in verse 18 through the end of the third chapter and the first two verses of chapter 4, we have half of the full reasoning behind what Peter is telling us. Let us examine what Peter said in chapter 3, for better understanding. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, not his own, for he committed none, but for the sins of his people, in order to obtain the remission of them, to make reconciliation for them, and to take and put them away, and finish and make an end of them, which sufferings of his on account of them were many and great. He suffered much by bearing the griefs and carrying the sorrows of his people, whereby he became a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs from his cradle to his cross, and from the temptations of Satan, being in all points tempted. As his members are, though without sin, and from the contradiction of sinners against him, in his name, credit, and character, abusing him as the worst of men. And he suffered in his soul from the wrath of God and curses of the law, which lay upon him and in his body by many buffeting, scourges, Moons, and death itself, even the death of the cross, and which being the finishing part of his sufferings is chiefly here meant. The Alexandrian copy reads, Died for you, and the Vulgate Latin, Syriac, and Ethiopic versions read, Died for our sins and this he did once and but once. He died once and will die no more. He was offered up once and will be offered up no more. There is no more offering or sacrifice for sin. The reason is because his one offering is sufficient to take away sin, which the legal sacrifices were not, and therefore were often offered. And the reason why this, his one offering, or once suffering and dying, is sufficient is because of his divine nature, or eternal spirit, by which he offered himself and gave infinite virtue to his sacrifice and satisfaction. Now, this is an argument for suffering patiently, since Christ, the head, has also suffered, and therefore, why not the members? Since he has suffered for their sins, therefore, they should not grudge to suffer for his sake and seeing also their sufferings are but once, in this life only, and as it were, but for a moment, and not to be compared with his sufferings for them, from the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. There was a lot in that passage. We need to examine at least a few of the things in this passage to increase our understanding. First, commentary said, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, not his own, for he committed none but for the sins of his people, in order to obtain the remission of them to make reconciliation for them, and to take and put them away, and finish and make an end of them, which sufferings of his, on account of them, were many and great. That tells us how we are saved from sin. Its impending doom when we die, or our present time, comes to its conclusion, and it is all written in stone. It is ours, and ours alone, to either receive Christ as our Savior from sin, or not. It is just that simple. Anyone who makes this out as being more complicated than that has their own agenda they are trying to impose on others. Coming to Christ and being saved by Him is not a difficult thing, despite how it may logically seem in one's mind. It may seem to some that we are getting more out of salvation than Christ, God's own Son, got from His offering for us. That is a correct assumption on the human plane of existence. Suffering for the sins of another, never mind the millions of people over time He has saved by this suffering, was not an easy thing for Him to suffer. So. One can derive a sense of inequality and injustice where the human being is getting the better part of the whole deal. Our enemy exploits this sense in our own minds, our own hearts, and seeks to provide a sense of guilt in us for this seeming lack of equality. It is this sense of guilt that causes many to hesitate and feel a sense of incompatibility when examining our ability to be saved from eternal death by Christ. The sense of inequality is very real to many of us, but it is not an inhibitor, a stop point for us to not receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. The crux of this dichotomy is where we humans struggle in making this choice to follow and serve God. This commentary passage explains some of this perceived inequity. It said, He became a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs from his cradle to his cross and from the temptations of Satan, being in all points tempted as his members are, though without sin, and from the contradiction of sinners against him, in his name, credit, and character, abusing him as the worst of men. And he suffered in his soul from the wrath of God and curses of the law, which lay upon him and in his body by many buffetings, scourges, wounds, and death itself, even death on the cross, and which being the finishing part of his sufferings is chiefly here meant. This is a good reason why Psalms, chapter 103, verse 12, says what it says. In proper context, Psalms 103, verses 11 through 13, reads, For as the skies are high above the earth, so his loyal love towers over his faithful followers. As far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so he removes the guilt of our rebellious actions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. Now, notice verse 12. As far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so he removes the guilt of our rebellious actions from us which removed men and angels from God, and set them at a distance from Him, and which, if not removed, are such burdens as must sink men down into the lowest hell, and yet cannot be removed by anything that they can do, not by any sacrifices, services, or duties of any kind, nor in any other way, nor by any other person than the Lord Himself. And this is to be understood not of a removal of the being of sin out of His people, for that is not done in this life, rather of the removal of the guilt of sin by the special application of pardoning grace and mercy, but, best of all, of a removal of sins to Christ and of them by his sacrifice and satisfaction. Christ engaged as a surety for his people. Jehovah the Father considered him as such, and therefore did not impute their sins to them, but to him. And when he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh, he removed them from them, and laid them upon him who voluntarily took them on himself, cheerfully bore them, and, by bearing them, removed the iniquity of the land in one day, and carried them away to the greatest distance, and even put them away forever by the sacrifice of himself. And upon the satisfaction he gave to divine justice, the Lord removed them both from him and them, justified and acquitted him and his people in him. And by this means, so effectually and so far are their transgressions removed that they shall never be seen any more, nor ever be imputed to them, nor be brought against them to their condemnation. In consequence of which pardon is applied to them, and so sin is removed from their consciences as before observed, from the New John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. There are three things here we want to note before we move forward. One, This is to be understood not of a removal of the being of sin out of his people, for that is not done in this life, rather, of the removal of the guilt of sin by a special application of pardoning grace and mercy, but, best of all, of a removal of sins to Christ and of them by his sacrifice. And satisfaction. This can lead to an inaccurate understanding. That inaccurate understanding being that we are no longer controlled by our sinful nature because some teach that our sinful nature no longer exists. If that is true, then why do all of us still sin even though saved of Christ? Notice what commentary just said. This is to be understood not of a removal of the being of sin out of his people, meaning us, God's people, and the being of sin is Satan, for that is not done in this life, rather of the removal of the guilt of sin by a special application of pardoning grace and mercy. There it is, the removal of the Guilt associated with our sinning is what is removed as far as the eastern horizon is from the western horizon. But, quickly, the New John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible says, with regard to the known world of that day, as far as the east is from the west, this distance is not given with respect to those opposite parts of the earth which scarcely exceed 12,700 miles, but with respect to those opposite points in the heavens. And the meaning is that as far as the eastern point of the heavens is from the western point of them, which more illustrates the matter in hand or the blessing later mentioned than the other. I think this explains the depth of our forgiveness in Christ if we are willing to receive it. For this life, this exempts us from the penalty caused by being a sinner. There is no guilt or shame incurred by us since all we need to do is ask for His forgiveness. We immediately receive that forgiveness because of how we are forgiven of our future sins by his death on the cross, before we even have the chance to commit them. Think about that. 2. Christ engaged as a surety for his people. Jehovah the Father considered him as such, and therefore did not impute their sins to them, but to him. And when he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh, He removed them from them and laid them upon him who voluntarily took them on himself, cheerfully bore them, and by bearing them, removed the iniquity of the land in one day and carried them away to the greatest distance and even put them away forever by the sacrifice of himself. And upon the satisfaction he gave to divine justice, the Lord removed them both from him and them, meaning his people, justified and acquitted him and his people in him. That is quite clear and to the point of note It said that Christ carried them, them being our sins, carried them away to the greatest distance and even put them away forever by the sacrifice of himself. Even the sins we will commit in the future are already put away forever by the sacrifice of himself. One might ask then, what is that Bema Seat judgment about in the book of Revelation? The only lingering failings of this life are finished at the Bema Seat judgment to simply determine the quantity of crowns we will receive. The Bema Seat judgment is our last and final judgment of which does not send us to hell. So. Whether this is a true assessment of the Bema Judgment is a study for another time. It is important for us to maintain, at all times, a need to seek forgiveness as quickly as is possible for any sin we may commit or have committed of which we are aware. Once we are aware of our sin or sins, since some sins are hidden by present apparent true reality of not being such, we still need to seek forgiveness simply by asking for it. Our sin or sins are done and gone. 3. By this means, so effectually and so far are their transgressions removed that they shall never be seen anymore nor ever be imputed to them. Nor be brought against them to their condemnation, in consequence of which pardon is applied to them, and so sin is removed from their consciences. Notice this by this means, so effectually and so far, are their transgressions removed from their consciences, meaning, one, They shall never be seen any more. 2. Nor ever be imputed to them. 3. Nor be brought against them to their condemnation. 4. In consequence of which, pardon is applied to them, and so sin is removed from their consciences. This is a key point to notice. The guilt of sin or sinning is removed. These sins, even at the Bema judgment, will not be brought against us to our condemnation. That is where error comes in with this subject. It is easy to believe that our forgiveness is fully in the now when it clearly is not true. Our sins carry so much weight with them that being eternally freed of the guilt they impose on us and our conscience, or newfound freedom, can lead us astray. Found in thinking our freedom is greater than it really is. Yes, we are freed from the guilt of sin and the condemnation that comes with it. However, we are still capable of sinning and most likely prove it on a daily basis. This is not a slight to anyone because it is just how this issue is in truth and the reality of it. The New John Gill's exposition of the entire Bible said, Now, this is an argument for suffering patiently, since Christ, the head, has also suffered, and therefore, why not the members? Who are the, quote, members, end quote? The members are you and me. When we become a part of something, we usually become a member of the entity we espouse. Meaning, if we collect coins, we may enjoy it so much we become a member of a coin club. That is just one of many things in life of which we become a member. I will close with this from Barnes New Testament Notes. By this example in his sufferings, and by his final triumph, the apostle would encourage those whom he addressed to bear with patience the sorrows to which their religion exposed them. He assumes that all suffering for adhering to the gospel is the result of well-doing, and for an encouragement in their trials, he refers them to the example of Christ the highest instance that ever was, or ever will be, both of well-doing and of suffering on account of it. The expression, hath once suffered, quote-unquote, in the New Testament, means once for all, once, in the sense that it is not to occur again. The particular point here, however, is not that he once suffered, it is that he had in fact suffered, and that in doing it, he had left an example for them to follow. The them in this quote is us. Next week, our episode is titled, Christ Concerned About the Will of God and Not Human Desires, Part 2. Just what is up with that? Next week, we will continue to sort this out. Just what is Peter telling us? Play or download next week's episode from one of our podcast hosts or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched, currently an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Thank you all so much. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, our vision, our ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. If you would rather search for us, please use the search phrase, church of the un, insert dash symbol, churched, to find us on a podcast platform you like. Note, please use the dash symbol and not the word dash when you search for us. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, This is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.